Hello to Fellowship uh, Bible Church family uh, scattered all over in your, uh, your homes and uh, worshiping with your families. And um, uh, thank you for uh, making this a priority. Um, we are trusting the Lord and uh, we will take this uh, one week at a time. Uh, but we are excited that we can do this and we can enter your home and uh, lead you in, in, in worship this way. And by the way, a shout out to Mark and Sherry Lyon in Homer, Alaska. Mark, thanks for your phone call uh, this week. Um, you were listening and we appreciate it. And uh, really, literally, uh, many, many, many people around the world. So um, again, thanks for making this time a priority. There was a guy who was um, seen rushing through the LA International Airport one morning trying to catch his flight. He left his watch at home, his cell phone, he forgot to charge up, and he's desperately looking around to see a, a, a clock somewhere to see what time it was. Couldn't find one. And as he passed a, a stranger walking by, he tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, buddy, do, do you have the time? The guy was carrying these huge, two big suitcases. He set them down and he looked at his watch and he said, um, yeah, it's, it's 8.05. Um, and... Um, it's uh, 73 degrees outside in L.A., and uh, it's going to be raining later this afternoon. Uh, the barometric pressure is 29.14 and falling. Um, oh, and by the way, if you want to know, it's 3.05 in London. Uh, bright, sunny day. Um, it's going to be night. Oh, in Singapore, it's a little cloudy and rainy there. Um, oh, and in L.A. tonight, the moon is going to be full and um, um, oh, and it looks like the stock market is, uh, is um, the futures are up a little bit. And the guy said, wait a minute. You, all that is about on your watch? Oh, well, yeah. He said, yeah, that, that and a lot more. In fact, uh, um, you'll never find a timepiece like this anywhere in the world. Uh, you see, it'll even talk to me in 30 different languages. I invented this. It is an amazing timepiece. Well, the guy kind of forgot his flight for a moment, and he said, um, I'm going to buy that thing. Not for sale, said the stranger. Uh, how about $5,000? I'll give you $5,000. You give me that timepiece. Not for sale. The guy scratched his head, and he thought a little bit more, and he said, I'll tell you what, how about $8,000? $8,000, give me that watch. i got to have it. The stranger said, no, look, buddy, you don't understand. I invented this for my son for his 21st birthday. I plan to give it to him. It's not for sale. The guy paused a little bit more, took a deep breath, and he said, look, I've got $15,000 of cash in my pocket. You've got to give me that watch. Well, this time the stranger, he paused. $15,000 cash. He scratched his head and he said, all right, it's a deal. It's yours. He took off the watch. The other guy strapped it on with a smile. He was about to walk away when the stranger picked up those two heavy suitcases and he said, oh, don't forget the batteries. Now, there's an old saying that says, uh, if, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Except when it comes from God. We've been studying the, the book of Romans and uh, the Apostle Paul has been telling us in these first three chapters of Romans God has some wonderful good news. He wants to give us something absolutely free. And what he wants to give us is his righteousness. A free gift, his righteousness. Now, why would he want to do that? 
Why does God want to give the gift of his righteousness? Well, because as we've seen, the Bible tells us, like in chapter 3, verse 10, we don't have any of our own. There is none righteous, no, not one. In fact, we have all sinned and we all have fallen short of the glory of God. God wants to give us his righteousness because we don't have any. The holy God of heaven wants to have a relationship with us, but our sins are blocking that from happening. We are not righteous. We have to be as good as God is good. We have to be as holy as God is holy. We have to be as perfect as God is perfect to enter into that that relationship with a holy God. We are not righteous. God is. And since we are unworthy and he is worthy and righteous, he is offered to give us his free righteousness as a gift. Now we say, how is that possible? How, how would a God do that? Well, we've looked at some key words over the last couple of weeks. Two weeks ago, we looked at a word, redemption, because in chapter 3, verse 24, it says that we are justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. The word redemption means that a, a ransom has been paid. A, a, a price has been, been paid to set us free from the slave market of sin. Uh, Jesus Christ himself was that ransom price. And he came to earth that he died on the cross. He paid for our sins to redeem us, to set us free. But there was another key word we looked at. It was a word last week called propitiation. Another one of those big, long words. But in verse 25, that's where it's used. Jesus is not only our redeemer, but verse 25 of chapter 3 says that God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Jesus Christ hung on a cross publicly before everyone to see. And he shed his blood. And as he was doing that, he was a satisfaction. That's what the word propitiation means. God was satisfied. There was an atonement. God saw the that the blood of his son shed for us and his wrath was turned. He was satisfied with the payment that Jesus made. Our redeemer satisfied a holy God's righteous wrath against sin. He was satisfied. And so God gives us his righteousness now as a free gift, no strings attached, at great cost to Jesus who died in our place. And so now God can declare us Acquitted, he can declare us right in his eyes. He can justify us. Now, having this relationship with God, this promise of an eternal home in heaven, the free gift of the righteousness of God given to us, it's, um, it sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? What's the catch? I mean, there's got to be something we do to, to qualify for this. There's got to be something we, we, we do that will uh, earn this or, or catch God's eye. Something we must do, isn't there? Well, in Romans chapter 3, verse 28, Paul wrote, we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. For all of this to become a reality in our life, for all of um, the redeeming work of Jesus to take place, for a father to be propitiated, to be satisfied, in order for 
unworthy sinners to be declared acquitted of all crimes. In order for that to happen, it simply is by faith. Faith connects all this resources that God in his loving heart is willing to give unworthy sinners. It is faith that unlocks us and makes it all possible. All the wealth of God's salvation becomes mine simply by faith and faith alone. Now, to prove what we heard is right, to prove that this was not some uh, crafty um, uh, deception by some uh, uh, slick-talking huckster salesman, to prove that the Apostle Paul was right in what he said, we come now to chapter 4 of the book of Romans. And in chapter 4, he focuses on that key word, faith, And two important examples of it in the Old Testament. The man Abraham and the man David. In fact, over the next uh, two, three weeks, we're going to be focusing on Abraham a lot. Uh, Next uh, next week, uh, Dennis McNutt, our youth pastor, is going to be unpacking some things further from uh, chapter 4 of Romans. And then the following week, Don Denhartog, our pastor of biblical education, is going to continue that look at, uh, at Abraham, the man of faith. Uh, so take your Bibles this morning or whenever you're, you're watching this and turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Verse 1 says this. What then shall we say? What shall we say? About Abraham, our father, according to the flesh, what has he found? Now, the construction of that phrase, uh, if you've read from a King James Version or New King James Version, it's probably better read this way. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, found according to the flesh? What has Abraham found according to the flesh, according to his own efforts? According to what he himself has done, what he has produced, what he has won, what he has earned, what has Abraham been awarded by his own doing? Well, verse 2 says, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. If Abraham was justified by works. Now, in the Greek language, that, um, that if statement there you see in your Bibles, for if Abraham was justified, it's what's called a first-class condition. In other words, um, this is assumed to be true when a writer wanted to state something in a conditional way, but assuming it to be true, he wrote it in a first-class condition. That's what is written here. And so what Paul is saying is, if Abraham was justified by works and He was. He has something to boast about. Now, think about Abraham for a moment. I mean, here's a guy, the the book of James. James calls him the friend of God. This is a guy who left his his family. He left everything dear to him from um, the land of Ur of the Chaldees, the city of Ur of the Chaldees. He walked away from it all when God called him to go to a land he didn't even know about. And Abraham obeyed. This is a guy who was... Uh, wherever he did, it turned. He, he was trusting God. He even was willing to offer his son, his only son Isaac, because God commanded him to do it. Here is Abraham, who had a lot to boast about, humanly speaking. This is a guy that God said, uh, Abraham, through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. 
he had a lot to boast about. In fact, in some of the ancient uh, Jewish writings of, of this time period of, of Paul, um, they, they viewed Abraham as, um, as almost, well, as, as sinless. Let me read to you some of the uh, quotes of, of, that, of that time. Jewish writers. Here's one. Abraham was perfect in all his deeds with the Lord and well-pleasing in righteousness all the days of his life. That's what was believed. Abraham was perfect in all his deeds and well-pleasing in righteousness all the days of his life. Here's another quote. We find that Abraham, our father, had performed the whole law before it was given. For it is written, because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. In other words, Jewish writers of the day said, hey, when it came to obeying the law, Abraham scored a 10. He was perfect. Here's another quote from what's called the prayer of Manasseh. Thou therefore, O Lord, thou art the God of the just and hast not appointed repentance to the just, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, which have not sinned against thee, but thou hast appointed repentance unto me because I am a sinner. So again, how did they, they view Abraham? He wasn't, he wasn't a sinner. He didn't, had never done anything wrong. He was a perfect law keeper. That was the mentality of the day. Verse 2 says, If Abraham was justified, was, was vindicated by his works, he has something to boast about, and he could. But then that last little phrase of verse 2 says, but not before God. He might boast about it before men as they looked at his life, but not before God. There's a little preposition that is used here, and it's the preposition pros, P-R-O-S, and it, some call it the preposition of face-to-face because it literally means before the face of God, face-to-face. Abraham might boast before men, But when he stands toe-to-toe with God, when he stands face-to-face with God, all boasting is gone. He cannot boast before God. He didn't have a leg to stand on. And so in verse 3, Paul begins to show proof of that when he says in verse 3, for what does the Scripture say? And um, isn't it good that uh, we got an example by the Apostle Paul that he went right to Scripture's to prove his point, this is the book we go to to try to find understanding and give us answers and direction in life. And that's what Paul is doing. What does the scripture say? And then he quotes from that passage in Genesis chapter 15. Um, He says, um, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, do you remember the story? We won't take the time to, to read it, at least not much of it. Um, God comes to Abraham and he said, do not fear. I'm your shield. Your reward shall be great. And Abraham says, well, wait a minute. What? I, I don't have any offspring. I, I've got a servant in my household, Eliezer of Damascus. Let him be the one through whom your, your promises will come. And God tells Abraham, um, no, this one shall not be your heir. But someone who's going to come from your own body, he shall be your heir. Well, then God does something really interesting. He takes Abraham outside and says in verse 5, he took him outside and he said, now look up into the heavens and, and, and count the stars if you're able to count them. 
You can almost see the scene where, where um, they walk outside and Abraham might be scratching his head and thinking, this is kind of odd. And he begins to count the stars. I don't know how long God would have let him do this. Uh, did he get to 10? Did he get to 50? 100? He keeps counting. Count the stars if you're able to count them. And God says, so shall your descendants be. I'm not going to use Eliezer. Someone from your own body is going to come. And Abraham, not just one. Count the stars. So shall your descendants be. Now, Abraham is an old man, by the way, at this time. What is he going to do? Well, verse 6 tells us what he did. A very simple verse, and this is the one that Paul quotes here in Romans chapter 4. Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. It's, a, it's an accounting term. God put on Abraham's ledger account righteousness. And how did it get there? One word. Faith. It was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed in the Lord and God put on his account righteousness. Abraham's part, believe. God's part, reckon to his account righteousness. In fact, 11, it's a really important word to be credited, to be reckoned. It's also a word means to be imputed. It's used 11 times in this passage in chapter 4. Imputation is a word that simply means to charge to one's account, to put over to one's account. Let me just jump ahead real quickly because this is where Paul is going to end up here. It's another big word, imputation, charging something to someone's account. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we read that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he took our sin upon himself. Our sin was credited in this like accounting term. Our sin went over to the ledger count of Jesus Christ. But that's not the only imputation or um, accounting that takes place. It says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count it but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law for my own good works, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. The accounting that takes place. Well, that's what happened with Abraham. He believed God and God reckoned to his account righteousness. Now look at verse 4. Now to the one, and, and Paul sums, sum, summarizes now his principle here. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. If um, you hired me to do some work in your yard, it says, Mark, I'll pay you 50 bucks. You clean up this trash. You do this. You throw down the mulch. And so I work hard all day. I come and I say, okay, it's finished. And you write out a check, $50, Mark Carey. I'm not going to take that check and drop on my knees and say, thank you, thank you, kind, benevolent soul. This is wonderful. Thank you for what you gave me. 
No, it's what I was due. It's, it's, it's my wage. I'm going to work for this and I'm going to get that. That's what Paul is saying. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, as grace, but what is due. But look at verse 5. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. To the one who does not work, but only believes in him, in the one who, and this phrase is so, I, I think it's just incredible, to the one who justifies the ungodly. He justifies the, you know, you know how an ungodly person can become righteous? Nothing that he does, nothing that he actually performs, nothing that he does at all. It is absolutely a free gift on the basis of faith, faith alone. A godly, ungodly person becomes a righteous person by faith. That's an amazing verse. Now, maybe talking about, um, and, and the last part of verse 5 says, his faith is credited over on that account, on his ledger account. Now comes the word righteousness. Ungodly person, on his ledger account comes the word righteous in the sight of God. And it all happens because of faith and faith alone. Now, when he brought out that idea of ungodliness, and I'm not sure this happened, but um, he might have thought of another Old Testament person, which he actually refers to in verse 6. David. David. It says in verse 6, as, just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits, there's our word, um, reckons, imputes righteousness apart from works. And he quotes Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Verse 8 says, Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Blessed is the man. What, what are the blessings? Well, the blessings of sin being forgiven. Blessings of not having our sins reckoned to our account. That's a blessing. And so what is Paul doing here? If Abraham is the epitome of righteousness, the guy was squeaky clean, if he's the epitome of righteousness, well, David is probably one of the well-known sinners in the Old Testament. Remember the stories? The adulterer, the murderer, what he did, what he was confessing in Psalm 32. For Abraham, though, what Paul is saying is, all his goodness, all his good deeds aren't taken into account by God. And as far as David, all his bad stuff isn't taken into account by God. Whether one is squeaky clean righteously, whether one has some things in their life that are not right, it doesn't matter. Whether one is good, whether one is bad, righteousness comes to one's account simply on the basis of one's faith in Christ. Um, take a moment and look at the person sitting next to you right now. Now go ahead, take a look at the person to the right or the left of you. Okay, they are either in the um, Abraham category or they're in the David category. They're either really squeaky clean and, and really, really good people, or, 
or open up their heart and some skeletons are going to fall out, kind of the David category. I'm in the, um, <clears throat> in the Abraham category. No, I, I, as you know, I grew up in a Christian home and got saved when I was five years old. And, and uh, it, you know what? God is not impressed with that at all. He does not take into account anything we in the Abraham category would bring to the table. Nothing. If you're in the David category, and I know some of you are, um, good news. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not credit that sin. God does not take into account your sin. It's not about my good works. It's not about my bad deeds. It's about Jesus and his one work that he accomplished on the cross. Everyone who gets to heaven is going to get there, not because of what they've done, but because of what Jesus has done. The Redeemer who shed his blood, who satisfied, who propitiated a holy God, the mercy seat, who died in our place, whose righteousness was imputed to our account when our sin was imputed to his account. And so Paul brings a conclusion here, starting in verse 9. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? Well, we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteous. Well, how then, verse 10, was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, verse 11, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, and that righteousness might be accredited to them. And the father of circumcision will be to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. Did you get all that? That's kind of a hodgepodge of stuff. Let me just summarize real, real quickly this way. What, what is Paul saying here? Here's the point. Nothing that Abraham did, no rite that, uh, that was ever performed, no religious ritual like circumcision matters in any way regarding our eternal destiny. Take out the word circumcision or uncircumcision uh, repeated in these verses. Put in anything you want, any, any effort, any work, any uh, religious rite, um, anything at all, stick it in place of circumcision. It'll just make it easier to understand. Paul couldn't be any clearer. There's nothing we do, nothing at all, that will allow God to credit to our account righteousness to give us a home in heaven, to set his eternal loving affections on us, nothing of ourselves. It's all a free gift the moment we believe, and that's it. The point is, it's not my repenting of my sins when righteousness is accredited to my account. It's not, not, not because I've tied the whole bunch. It's not because uh, I've prayed a prayer, I've raised my hand, I've walked an aisle, I've signed a card. It's not anything at all that a person does. Nothing. It is by faith and faith 
alone. God's righteousness is credited to our account as a free gift by faith and faith alone. Simply believing in Jesus. And so what Paul says, and jump down to verse 16, he says it this way. For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it might be in accordance with grace. You see, faith and grace go together. Not works and grace. Faith alone connects my spiritual neediness with God's spiritual resources. It is faith alone that turns my ungodliness into his righteousness credited to my account. It's faith and faith alone. This is the wonderful good gift that Paul is, is um, hammering home here in uh, Romans chapter 4. Um, but let's, let's relate this all to what's happening right now in our day and age, um, this crazy time of, of world history. Uh, God, what is, your, what is your word for us here today from this passage? Uh, I mentioned last week from Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. I'm also reminded of uh, Galatians chapter 2, 20, where Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And then he said, and the life I now live, the life I now live in the mess of this world, the life I now live in the midst of a, of a, of a full-blown pandemic, the life that I now live when the stock market is in meltdown mode, the life I now live when the, when the shelves uh, at Walmart and Martins are half empty, the life I now live, he says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. You see, where does Paul anchor things? He anchors it right back into the gospel. He anchors his life back into these, these, these big words like redemption and propitiation and imputation and justification. And folks, that's where we need to be anchored as well. Because those all describe Jesus Christ. Faith is what links our fears and our apprehensions and our concerns of what's going on today, faith links our fears with his marvelous resources, with himself, with his heart, with the limitless resources of his grace and daily mercy and faithfulness. Are we willing to believe that God is bigger than all this mess that's going on around our world? Are we willing to put our trust in him to carry us through? Are we willing to put our faith in a God who has promised, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you? Are we willing to trust in a God who has proven his faithfulness to us when his son went to the cross and died in our behalf and rose again triumphant over sin, death, and the grave? And if our faith wavers, which it can do, if our faith becomes shaky in this time of crisis and this time of uncertainty, then Paul would tell us in Romans, go back to the cross. Go back to the cross. Go back to the gospel because it's as we remember 
what God has so graciously provided for us in his eternal salvation plan, it will encourage us to trust him even today. Back a couple of years ago, 19, or 2017, there was a documentary movie that came out called, uh, it was entitled Coyote, The Mike Plant Story. Mike Plant was a, a world-class yachtsman. I mean, this guy was known in the sailing world. Um, he had um, traveled around the world. He, he logged, I think, more miles uh, as an American yachtsman than anybody else. It's over something like 100,000 miles. In the fall of uh, 1992, he was planning what for him was probably just a short little jaunt across the Atlantic Ocean over to France. Um, but while he went over in his sailing boat called Coyote, something tragically went wrong. Um, two weeks into the journey, um, contact was lost with him. Mike Plant was lost at sea. Um, he was not found again. A uh, search uh, party was commenced. They, they never found him. It was about 30, 30 32 days later that uh, a freighter, a crew on a freighter, saw a capsized boat. And they came up to it, and it proved to be indeed the coyote. The strange thing, though, was it was capsized. It's hull po pointing upwards. It, it's mast pointing down into the depths of the ocean. Um, but there was something missing from um, the hull of that boat. Um, now I've been told this. I don't sail, but I'm told that sailboats typically don't capsize. Uh, they're, they're constructed in such a way to um, survive vigorous pounding of the sea uh, because below the waterline is where the greatest weight is. In the Coyote, Mike Plant's book, it was a boat, there was a 14-foot keel, but bolted to that 14-foot keel was 8,400, was an 8,400 pound uh, ballast bulb. Uh, it, no matter what would happen, that boat would not capsize. But it did. And when they discovered it, they saw no damage to the hull. But that 8,400 pound ballast bulb was gone. It remains a mystery to this day what actually happened to that ballast bulb. But somehow, in some way, whether it was an air when it was constructed, but that ballast bulb had pulled away, it was lost. And that's when Mike Plant was doomed. And he died at sea when the coyote capsized. Now, folks, the seas of life are pretty rough right now, aren't they? We're being pounded and battered uh, by uh, a lot of tough things, mercilessly. And it's times like this that we really get a good picture of, of what's below the waterline in our life. Do we have the proper ballast in these tough times? Is Jesus Christ dwelling richly in our hearts through faith? Deep, deep down inside, below the waterline in our life, is there the richness of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we're holding on to? Is the one who has redeemed us 
and has satisfied and propitiated a holy God. The one whose righteousness has been imputed to my account and my sin imputed to his account is the one who has declared me acquitted of all crimes. Is this one who shed his blood to give me eternal justification? Is he the focal point of your life, of your heart, right now, right today? I'm asking a really important question today, folks. What's below the waterline deep down in your life? If Jesus is the ballast below the waterline, on the authority of God's word, we can say, nothing will capsize us. Nothing. You see, Jesus is all we need. And it is going to be because of him and him alone as we focus and walk by faith in him, that we will not capsize in these storms. We will sail firmly, strongly to the other shore. Would you pray with me, please? Our Father, it's so important for us to to come again to your word, to come to the scriptures and to and to do some spiritual inventory in our own lives. What am I focusing on right now? In the storms of, of this life? Do I have the proper ballast deep, deep in my soul? Father, you've given it to us in these verses and these passages of the book of Romans. You're, you're trying to, I think, get our attention. It's all about Jesus. He's done it all. No matter how good we are, no matter how bad we are, our relationship with you is not based on anything I've done. It's based only on what Christ has done. And that becomes mine by simply believing in Jesus. And so, Father, we're grateful that as we go through these tough times, we can put our faith and our hope in Jesus Thank you, Father, that we can sail the rough seas with a Savior deep within us. And so it's in his name we pray. And for your glory, we live out this life. Amen.